Hi, this is Jason Lee, pastor of Casper Alliance Church. This is our final week of talking about the book of Ruth and the story of redemption. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this teaching. Uh, thanks for checking us out. If you'd like to know more about Casper Alliance Church, you can go to casperchurch.com. You can look us up at facebook.com forward slash Casper Alliance Church. We also have our own app. You can go to your app store on your devices. Look for Casper Alliance Church. Download the app with the double black C's. And there you are. You'll be connected with us. Hey, hope you have a great week. Talk to you soon. The point. Because I've run out of words. I don't meander all over the place. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 4 today. This is closing up our Ruth series. And uh, maybe you turn me down a little bit because I hear my echo. And... It's a little bit of, it just distracts me. Anybody, uh, anybody up for just a quick story before I really get rolling? You guys good with it? So anytime, anytime we're turning to Ruth lately, so it's been eight weeks. We've been at eight, Ruth in eight weeks. Um, you guys can go find this on the internet. And I'll, I'll tell you how to write this down if you want to. You might just remember it. If you write down Dobby Bible Books, if you just write that down, go search it on YouTube, you will find a fantastic video of a five-year-old Dobby, Caleb Faisal, saying the books of the Bible. So anytime I turn to Ruth, I, here's what I do in my head. Do you do, you do it too? I, every time I go, Joshua judges Ruth. Like, and when I was just doing it right now, I went, Genesis, Exodus. And I went all the way through, and I went, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And if you go, if you search it, you'll find it, and there'll be a little mini, a mini Adrienne, because that's kind of where we're at right now. Bang length is a little bit longer on Caleb than it is on Adrienne. But mini, mini Adrienne doing the Bible books. And forever, that's ingrained in my head when I look through the scriptures, I like, I hear my son kind of sing-songing through the books of the Bible, and I had nothing to do with that. That was not my spiritual leadership at home. That was uh, Mrs. Faisal, Dr. Faisal, teaching my kids the books of the Bible. I did not do that. I had nothing to do with that, actually. Very minimal. But anyway, go Adrienne. She's really good at stuff. Listen, I don't want to categorize all of it. It's a long list. She's fantastic. And she's the only one that I'll listen to. The rest of you, <laughs> not a chance. All right, we're going to be in verse 13. That was my story time. The rest of it is just me talking at you for a second. Now, we're going to go 13. This is the end of the story of Ruth. We've been in it for eight weeks. This is the everything comes together at the end, and, and we get to see the picture into the future of what's going to happen. And the, the, the writer of Ruth uh, ends with a genealogy that fast-forwards and then we're going to pick up in Matthew again today, too. We're going to look at Matthew and look at the genealogy of Jesus because it's, in, it's put in there. So uh, here we go. Let me read the story to you. The descendants of Boaz. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman, then the women, not the woman, the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him 
to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now, at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amadab, Amadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the picture into the story of redemption and how we can um, own some of it for ourselves and identify within the story of the characters. Lord, I pray that this morning is all about you and that your words are the words that are being heard and your words are the words only. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. I'm going to take my glasses off because I haven't cleaned them today and it's pretty blurry. The end of this section of Scripture, you, you hear the phrase, and I'm going to read it to you again, you hear the phrase that the Lord enabled Ruth to get pregnant. Through this entire story, we've been, I've been talking about God's hand moving the story along. God being part of the story of, of accomplishing His purposes. This is the only time in Ruth, except for the very beginning, where God was actually acknowledged as the provider, as the person giving provision, as the one moving the story along. The, at the very beginning, Naomi blamed God for all that was happening to her and the bitterness that she was experiencing and, and, the, and the pain and, the, and just her life. She blamed the Lord. Are you looking for mom and dad? She's right there. <laughs> I love it. I, this, one of the most uh, interesting things about me is how easy I get distracted. And, and if you were to talk to me for five minutes, I, am, I don't have ADHD, but I, I have a squirrel mentality to where I'll, I'll chase the thing closest to me. And so it, I'm not encouraging anybody to do this, but if you were to like send your kids running around the room, and like strategically, I would be all over, my brain would just be like, I would, now that I've said it, I would accuse you all of something. <laughs> but... Okay, so God's hand is in this part of the story. And, and the writer of Ruth is, is acknowledging it, saying, God enabled this to happen. His divine providence has revealed itself through everything. His divine providence revealed on, on a, a Moabite woman, and I, I know we're just going to recap the whole story, that a Moabite woman coming into a family and being part of the, of the history of the Jewish people. That's only by God's hand. A Moabite woman who is marginalized, randomly showing up at a random field by a random landowner who happens to have a pretty decent line of history himself, that's only by God's hand. A, a woman losing all of her paternal and, and sons, and, like, and, and when Naomi losing everything to have it be restored is only by the hand of God. See, God's hand is all over this. Now, I've talked a lot, and I've, I've kind of alluded to this about this story, right? And I've been titling my messages this time, which I don't really talk about very often, but I, I titled this one this morning, and the award goes to. Because it's been a bunch of plays and actors and people, characters in the story, and the, the ultimate truth here is the award goes to God. God is the writer, the director, and the star of 
of this entire story. He is the central piece that makes the whole thing together. He's the one that set it down and orchestrated it, put it together, created all the fun, and, and revealed it to the people. Now, I've made the claim that Boaz is the hero of the story. Naomi's the protagonist of the story. Ruth is the, the, uh, just the lovable sleeping beauty that waits for everything to happen to her. But God is the star. He is everything within it. He wrote it. He directed it. He created the cinematography. He put all the pieces together. He moved it from beginning to end to, the, to where we have this point where Naomi's life is, is redeemed. And we said that word a lot, redeemed. Turn me to the uh, beginning of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. I just want to make this string, this connection for you. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. The protagonist of this story, God being the author, director, star of it, the protagonist of this story, Naomi, which moves the story along, that's what a protagonist does, hears what's happening in her land. That there's not famine anymore. There's not things are going down. Here's, here's that things are good there. And it's time for us. So we're going to leave and we're going to go. Hear that the Lord has done something. Go to verse 21 of Ruth 1. Oops, I just flipped like three pages. I'm like, what on earth is happening? I'm going to start with verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. She responded, instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer, and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Have you ever been excited about a trip or a vacation? And like you're, you're going, like I, I just looked at my, my pal Rick, and we have, this, we have this common thing that he's never experienced, that I've experienced. And, and he was going to be blessed, their family's going to be blessed with a Disney cruise. They were been pumped. We talked about it. We went for breakfast, and I told him how to do it because I love Disney cruises. I'm a nerd, and I love them because, I don't know, because they just bring you bacon constantly. Think, I mean, if you just think of it like this, that simple. There's so much bacon to eat on a Disney cruise that you, you can never run out of bacon. And that's shocking because there's thousands of people. So Rick and I would talk about this Disney cruise. And their Disney cruise was supposed to happen in March of 2020. So this thing that I talked up to them being so amazing has now become kind of a thorn in your side. To where you're like, don't, we can go out for pancakes, Jason, but don't bring up that Disney cruise to me ever again. Because I talked about how great it was and how amazing it was going to be and how much bacon you can eat on this Disney cruise. And all of a sudden, it's just, it, it evaporated. And, I, it's, I mean, it's just gone. Now, how many had vacation plans last spring, last summer that just kind of disappeared? Yeah. And you're planning on all these things to do, and it just was gone. So, Naomi, again, at the beginning of the story, she's like, this is this, we are starving, we're women, we're marginalized, we've got to figure out how to get some 
get to a place where we can be full again. And she's like, let's go back home. Let's go on a trip. Let's head back to Bethlehem. And the moment she gets there, everybody is gone. Everybody dies. Everybody, it's, everything falls apart. And the moment that happens, who does she begin to blame? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty God has made my life very bitter. God, the Almighty, has sent, me, sent tragedy upon me. God, the Almighty, has made me empty. I'm empty. Darkness is closing in on Naomi. You think that the end of the story, which I've just already read, was all about Ruth and Boaz and happily ever after. It's not. The protagonist, the one that moves the story along, is the one that reaps the great reward at the very end. We celebrate Ruth, we celebrate Boaz, we celebrate the genealogy, but Naomi is the one. She's the picture that we get to see at the very end who gets the story told about her. The women of the town, what do they say? Praise the Lord, you've been given a redeemer. Praise the Lord, you have a, have a son, a, a grandson to take care of you in your old age. Praise the Lord, make this son famous in all the land. Praise the Lord, the town was saying to this woman who was blaming the Lord for her demise for her darkness, for the problems, for the struggle, for all the things that were happening to her. Praise the Lord. And then what did Naomi do? How did she respond? All the way through the story, you kept seeing her, her heart change, her heart shift, her heart begin to point back to the Lord, reorient herself back to God, and give God the credit to where the writer of Ruth says at the very end, the Lord enabled Ruth to have a baby. Now all the adults in the room understand biology. So the writer felt that it was very important to give credit where credit is due. The star of the show, the writer, director of the play, the one who created the story said, I'm the one that's taking care of business. I'm the one that's bringing about fullness. Your belly's empty, I will provide the field. You're lonely and marginalized, I will provide the man. You need a grandson to redeem and take on the family line to give honor back to your name, which was a big deal in ancient Jewish times. I'm the one who will make Ruth have a child. I am the center of attention, is what God says, and you need to point everything and orient your way towards me. I am the way maker, is what he's saying. I wrote this story. I directed this story. I made all the pictures pretty for you in this story. And I'm going to finish this story by creating a line that's going to lead all the way to the Messiah, my son. Turn with me to Matthew. Did somebody just say amen over there? Too? Thank you, Liam. It doesn't just have to be Dr. Steve. It can be Professor Liam as well. <coughs> This is the record, Matthew chapter 1, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now Matthew's written to the Jews, it's written to the people uh, of, of, of Israel, so, and I say this word a lot, so that they would then go, okay, this person that you're going to talk about for the next you know, 28 chapters is Jesus, the Messiah, and he's real, and he comes from this line of people. Because lineage matters. Genealogy matters to the Hebrew people. And so, 
This is the pathway for the people to begin to believe in Messiah. Here he goes. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Every time I speak of a woman, count in your head. That's one. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Anabad. Do you guys recognize this? Did Did we read this somewhere else earlier? We did at the end of Ruth. Adabad was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's two. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. That's three. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of the King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. That's what? The widow of. Your, that's four. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Ab. Abijah, I can never say, I've never been able to say that. Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jeroham. Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Side note, I wrote a 10-page paper in college on Hezekiah. There's not 10 pages worth in the Bible about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers born in the time of exile to Babylon. After the Babylon exile, Jehoiachin and the father of Shethiel. Shethiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. <laughs> Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Iliad. Iliad, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Methan. Methan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary. That's five. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above included 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from Babylonian exile to the Messiah. You don't think God's timing matters? He knows what he's doing. He's the star of the show. He's the director, the author, the cinematographer. He's doing everything. He's putting it all together so that the Messiah comes. Now the rest... The rest of the story of Matthew points and talks about who Jesus is and what he did. So at the very end, turn with me to Matthew 28, please, at the very end of the Matthew. What does Jesus do and say? The Messiah, now you get the whole story. We haven't gone through a gospel yet in our teaching time here. We need to probably soon. Matthew 28, 18, let's pick it up at 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. Even with all of this history and knowledge and genealogies and knowing, putting all the pins in the, in the map and knowing it all, how it fits together, some still doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples this, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure to of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew is all about pointing to this point where Jesus is Messiah. The end of Ruth is all about pointing to who David was. And from the line of David would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 really quick. Let's talk about Jesus for one second. You know, I don't tend to talk about Jesus here, do I? (laughs) Not for one second, you're right. Colossians 1, start with verse 15. 
Christ is the visible. So anytime you see Christ, it's Messiah. Messiah is the visible image of the invisible God. He, is ex he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church. He's our boss, which is His body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He's the first in everything. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled, redeemed, redeemed everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, what does that have to do with Ruth? Everything. Ruth is all about getting to Jesus. And making this line happen. Being the way maker. The miracle worker. The promise keeper. That's what's happening in this story. When we talk about the story of Ruth, it's the story of the beginning of the redemption of the world. That through this line, the Messiah will come. And the Messiah is Christ. Christ alone. Jesus, who's come to save the world who's come to, to pay for the sin, who's come to die on a cross and be resurrected and say, death, where is your sting? You don't have it with me anymore. I have victory over that. That's what is happening here at the end. And as a part of that, Naomi is turning from empty to fullness. To where she's lost and now found. To where she's able to say, there was a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper that kept me on the path so that I would eventually be in this space to where I could say, praise the Lord, I have a redeemer. It's fun to talk about this as a romantic story. And it's, it's a cute part of it. It's fun to talk about some of the, the neat little things that happened in, in the threshing floor. I mean, we took eight weeks to talk about the whole story. <laughs> but here at the end, the narrator is finally weaving together the, the thread of this sweater <laughs> that's pointing to redemption. Not just for Naomi, for the entirety of the world. Make your, we pray that your grandson is famous. Obed, Jesse, David. If you ask virtually anybody on the planet, what did David do? They can answer a question. They can answer a question. David is the most famous because he killed Goliath. David was famous. Okay, so I'm going to land the plane for us. <laughs> Two things are happening here. Ruth, this beautiful story that's embedded into the time of Judges. If you're interested in coming to adult Sunday school, we're having Sunday school for one more month through June. By the way, we're not going to have Sunday school here for July and August. Enjoy your camping, whatever you do for camping. But we're talking about the, the judges in adult Sunday school right now, and it's been some lively, fun conversation. 
Ruth is nestled into that storyline, that timeline of Judges, where things were chaotic in the land. And a, and a story, again, I've said it multiple times, of marginalized women experiencing, experiencing the provision of God in the story of chaos is, is, I think, an important part for you to capture. And also the ethnicity. You see, I... As, a, as a, an American church, and this is me being critical on my soapbox, as an American church, we tend to look at church as people who are like us. Like-minded, think like us, talk like us, look like us, live in the same geographic... We have a, it's, it's hard, I know. It's hard to get it that there are churches outside of Casper. There are. I've been to a couple of them. They're not as good, but I've been there. But what's happening here is you're taking the least of these people and making, making them the centerpiece of the story. Women. It's been a women morning today, right? We've been talking about women. In, in Sunday school we talked about Debbie, Deborah, and, and how she stood up when no man would. Matthew includes these five women into the story to remind you that this isn't a man's faith. This isn't about the men of the world. This is about how God is redeeming the world. He includes a Moabite woman to the process to say this isn't about just you Hebrews. It's not just about the Israelites. It's about world redemption. It's a multi-ethnic movement. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Parentheses, Messiah. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Understand that. This is not a, a just a group of one people that matter. This is every, and, and as the story's moved along, God has inserted people who shouldn't belong in the story. People who are outsiders. People who are, who are hated by the community. If you were to ask people in this world who David is, they, they would have an answer for that. If you would ask somebody to tell you the story of the good Samaritan, Virtually everyone on the planet would be able to explain that parable. The Samaritan people were hated. They were evil. They were half-breeds. God included that into the story to show you what love, compassion, and true redemption looks like. The story of Ruth of pain and agony, uncertainty gives way to joy, triumph, and hope. Our story is Naomi's story. From bitterness and despair to joy and fullness. Our story is Boaz's story. From waiting in the wings to a lasting legacy. Our story is Ruth's story. From loss to commitment, to betrothal, to ultimately the bridegroom who ushers in the line of the Messiah. You see, as people, we can identify with the characters in the story because we experience the emotions and the heartache and the pain that they go through. And at the end of the story, you have hope. And the, the narrator reminds us that God is the waymaker the promise keeper, the one who is the star, the director, 
the writer of the story, and that should give us hope. Now, this story has a happy ending, and some of our stories don't. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, get ready to sing. This is why I wanted to have a response, because I understand that we, you know, sometimes there's just a happy story. And, but we have these dark thoughts, or we have these struggles, we have these, these trips in our life that we need to have somebody to walk alongside us, fight with us, pray with us to battle through it. And so I want you to be able to come and respond to that. I know this is silly and cheesy for me. The other night I was laying in bed with Adrian and I, and I was like, if I die in the next 24 hours, you got this. You can do it. And she's like, every day I think my wife's reminded that I'm just a moron. But I was having like, I was having this neck pain that was weird and it like came out of nowhere. So my brain immediately went to zebras, not horses. And I'm like, I've got bacterial meningitis. I'm going to fall asleep and not wake up in the morning. That's where my brain went. That's so, listen, that's how dark I got really fast. Like, I'm going to die tonight. And I'm going to get right with the Lord. Where's the, where's the bank account password so Adrian can pay the electric bill? Those are the things that I work through really fast. I'm not the only one who works that way. Our brains, our minds, our, the, the tensions and the pressures of this world will push us and move us and we are subject to them so many times to where all of a sudden we have these dark and, and, and bad thoughts and these ugly thoughts and we have these attitudes towards people. And I, I believe, we talked about this last week on Wednesday night in my office, that revival starts with confession. And if I want to see revival here, I've got to give people an opportunity to confess. And whether you like it or not, almost every message is me confessing something to you. If you read between the lines, you can hear me confessing before you, which is completely inappropriate, by the way. It's everything I was taught not to do. But if we, we have to have this time where we can say, Lord, I need help. And I need to not feel this way. I need to not be bitter or empty or, or mad at God or blame, him, blame the Almighty for taking everything away from me. I need to have hope. And I need to live as though I have hope. And I need to not just pretend and have it be these bumper stickers, but true, authentic, deep-seated hope that regardless of my state on this terrestrial ball, I will experience God as the star in my life. As the writer, the director, the author of my life. That takes time. That takes effort. That takes confession. So they're going to sing. I'm going to invite one of our, our other family up <laughs> that are here. Everybody else is vacationing. Adrian, if you would join me up front too, we'll pray. And the altar's open for you to come pray. Adrian and I will be over there. John and I will be over there. And we just want to invite you. And if you just want a quiet place and you do not want to talk to anybody, this is an empty row that you can come and pray in. And you're welcome to pray here. And we would love for you to pray here. And after we sing Waymaker, Hannah will say, have a great Sunday. And you can be dismissed. I would ask that you would just go out there and talk out there, not hang out in here if there's people praying. So Father, we pray.